electricity, a big idea that's inspired countless new ones. From powering the light bulb to virtually powering our entire lives. 30 years ago, State Street launched the Spider S&P 500 ETF, SPY. A big idea that inspired the world to invest differently. And still does. What can you do with SPY? Before investing, consider the funds, investment objectives, risks, charges, and expenses. Visit SSGA.com for a prospectus containing this and other information. Read it carefully before investing. SPY is subject to risks similar to those of stocks. All ETFs are subject to risk, including possible loss of principal. Alps Distributors, Inc. Distributor. Bring in show music, please. This is Squawk Pod. I'm CNBC producer Zach Valisi. Today on our podcast, Facebook under fire again. Unpacking Capitol Hill testimony from Facebook whistleblower Francis Haugen. The choices being made inside of Facebook are disastrous for our children, for our public safety, for our privacy, and for our democracy. So what now? How to regulate a giant with NAACP legal defense funds, Sherilyn Eiffel. Congress took the original idea that you couldn't regulate these companies because it would inhibit their innovation. But I'm old enough to remember when car companies said that about seatbelts. And another day, another step closer to the U.S. defaulting on its debts. Meeting the deadline and battling for bipartisanship with Delaware Senator Chris Coons. In this instance... What is blocking us from moving forward is Mitch McConnell's needless use of the filibuster, that 60-vote limit. It's Wednesday, October 6th, 2021. Squawk Pod begins right now. Stand back you by in three, two, one, cue please. Good morning, everybody. Welcome to Squawk Box here on CNBC. I'm Becky Quick, along with Joe Kernan. Andrew's off today. Facebook CEO Mark Zuckerberg is responding to whistleblower uh, Francis Haugen's accusations that the social media giant prioritizes profits over safety. I'd like to thank our witness, Francis Haugen. You are not here alone. You're armed with documents and evidence. And you speak volumes, as they do, about how Facebook has put profits ahead of people. In a blog post following Haugen's congressional testimony yesterday, Zuckerberg said, in his words, it's difficult uh, to see coverage that misrepresents our works and our motives at the most basic level. I think most of us just uh, don't recognize the false picture of the company that's being painted. My name is Frances Haugen. I used to work at Facebook. I'm here today because I believe Facebook's products harm children, stoke division, and weaken our democracy. The severity of this crisis demands that we break out of our previous regulatory frames. Facebook wants to trick you into thinking that privacy protections or changes to Section 230 alone will be sufficient. While important, these will not get to the core of the issue, which is that no one truly understands the destructive choices made by Facebook, except Facebook. To be happy and to feel awful about yourself every time you open your computer, it's just hard to put those two together. But then again, do we want to have someone deciding on censorship and exactly what we're able to see? It's really weird that the bipartisanship comes at, uh, at Facebook from totally different places. Which is why they will <laughs> probably never agree on any regulation, because the two right. sides, while they want to regulate the company, can't see eye to eye on how to no, regulate the company. They can't, so even, they, they can't even agree on why they don't like Facebook. Right. Or an infrastructure bill. And Julia Borson uh, joins us now with more. Hi, Julia. Good morning to you, Joe. I'm just fascinated, Julia. I'm sure you are, too, that there is an algorithm like the mean algorithm 
Like there's something in numbers that can skew it to the really mean side of things that they decide, well, we get more engagement. From. It's like clickbait, I guess. And I think people in media know how to write a headline that may not describe the actual interview at all to get people to click on it. Is that what it's like, you think? But in this case, it, it has effects on, on young people. Yeah, so they would, they probably don't call it the mean algorithm, but what Frances Haugen laid out in her testimony yesterday is this idea that people are more likely to engage with content, to click on content, to share content. Of course, the sharing is essential here if it makes them upset or even if a headline makes them angry. Engagement-based ranking, Facebook says we can do it safely because we have AI. You know, the, the artificial intelligence will find the bad content that we know our engagement-based ranking is promoting. They've written blog posts on how they know engagement-based ranking is dangerous, but the AI will save us. Facebook's own research says they cannot adequately identify dangerous content. And as a result, those dangerous algorithms that they admit are picking up the, 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 the extreme sentiments, the division, they can't protect us from the harms that they know exist in their own system. If something is emotional, you're more likely to engage with it. So what Facebook said is that why would we want to have a lot of angry content on our platform? But what Haugen said yesterday is, look, if something makes people upset, they're more likely to share it. It's more engaging than it becomes this sort of viral circle. Um, so two, two different ways of looking at this. Joe, but I'm sure more uh, more will come out about the algorithm in time. But what was interesting is Haugen said she thinks everything should just, all the content on your news feed should just be delivered uh, in a reverse chronological order so you know exactly what del- was reposted when, as opposed to being, um, you know, sort of factoring in all these different ways that people are sharing and responding to the content. But I bet they don't call it the mean algorithm. That, that would have gotten some good headlines, though. <laughs> I know she did. But... Th- it's funny that you can, I, I understand, I, I, I see what you're saying, and I'm familiar, I'm familiar with clickbait, and I, I see it, you know, on Twitter every day, it's like, what? And I look in the article, and it's like, that is not even close to, but it sucked me in, and I'm looking at it. Uh, oh, and those other things, we even have the guy on at the bottom of a lot of stories that has, this star now looks like, you know, like this, and I go in, and you it take, you got to go through 50 people to get to the star that looks different, you It's a lot of clickbait, Julie. It's our world. And maybe there is a problem. Thank you, though. Have you done that, Becky? Yeah, I've gotten sucked in. You have, right? Yes, and then you realize you're the sucker for getting sucked in and you get mad. And then you try to go to the next one and you hit the wrong thing and and the ad comes up. Yes. And Julie is right. I mean, the simpler solution would be to just have it reverse chronological order because that drives me nuts when the same thing pops up in my feed again and again anyway. Our next guest has been pushing for more accountability for Facebook for some time. Let's welcome Sherilyn Eiffel. She's the president and director counsel of the NAACP Legal Defense and Education Fund. Her organization and other civil rights groups have been criticizing Facebook for not doing enough to rein in hate speech and misinformation on the platform. She's met with Zuckerberg, I think, last year. And and Sherilyn, welcome. It's good to see you. Thanks so much. I'm glad to be here. So what did you think of these latest revelations? I didn't find them surprising at all. Um, you know, I have been in a number of conversations over a number of years with the leadership at Facebook about, um, as you say, misinformation, uh, voter suppression, uh, hate speech. Um, this is a very serious matter. It's, it isn't just about, um, you know, winding up in the spiral of articles about what a celebrity looks like. Uh, it is actually about the safety and security 
of members of our society. It's about people's ability to get good information about uh, voting. Um, it, it's it's really about our democracy itself. And um, I I think this is a very serious matter. And I do think it's time for there to be a framework of regulation um, for Facebook and for other companies, uh, in, internet companies. Facebook has said, look, we don't do this for profit. We are giving people what they want to see. The algorithm simply tells us what gets the most likes. Um, what do you say in response? Yeah, I, you have more responsibility to, as a citizen and as a business leader, to democracy than that. Um, you know, it, a newspaper uh, is bound by certain rules and laws that don't allow it to print anything. They have to, the, the information they print has to be factual. Um, the same thing happens on television. Uh, it's not simply because people want it that you get to uh, to introduce it. And we're talking about something that travels at the speed of light to billions of people around the world. We know what happened in Myanmar. Um, we know what happened in India. And we know what's happened here in this country. We remember uh, the Kenosha shooting last year, a 15-year-old boy transported by his mother across state lines with an AR-15 to meet up with militia members. And that militia, the Kenosha Guard, which should never have been allowed to be on Facebook by Facebook's own standards, posted something that was called a call to arms, encouraging people uh, to come to Minnesota. And Facebook's own community standards actually bars the posting of information that constitutes a call to arms, that asks people to take up arms and meet somewhere for the purpose of intimidation or um, or threats. And yet that flyer stayed up and did not come down until two days after the Kenosha shooting. Uh, Mark Zuckerberg was asked about it. Uh, he spoke in, a, in an employee meeting that was later transcribed and released in which he said there had been an operational mistake, but that's their own standards. So who's minding the store? And at the end of the day, Two people are dead. A 15-year-old boy uh, has uh, committed a homicide, a double homicide, uh, and our country is further riven apart. It's time for Congress to step in. Uh, Congress took the original idea that you couldn't regulate these companies because it would inhibit their innovation. But I'm old enough to remember when car companies said that about seatbelts. I can remember that my father did not want to wear seatbelts. And after he got a few tickets, he learned he had to click it or get a ticket. Um, so we, we do things all the time for the safety of our country. And this is one of those circumstances in which this incredibly potent uh, platform needs some framework in which it can work in order to protect our society. I'm not trying to end Facebook. Actually, uh, black people disproportionately use Facebook. Churches love Facebook for family reunions are organized on Facebook. Uh, it's not about the, just the connectivity, but it is about having a responsibility as a business and a, a company of tremendous reach and influence to uh, ensure that it protects the public. Sherilyn, uh, Mark Zuckerberg and Facebook say they welcome uh, some sort of rule setting by Congress, letting Congress be the ones who step in and decide these things. Um, and if you look at it, this is a bipartisan issue. Everybody's mad at social media on both sides of the aisle. However, they're mad for different reasons. And it, and it, it, it makes me pretty skeptical that anything will get passed that kind of lays the rules for the road down? Well, first of all, I, I should say it's been quite an arc of evolution for Facebook to come to the place of uh, being desirous of some rules. Um, in fact, the position had always been that they did not want to be regulated. That was kind of the red line. 
Uh, and I do believe that um, these conversations and what has occurred, the, the, you know, the consequences of this laissez-faire attitude uh, towards Facebook has uh, perhaps driven them to believe that they, would, they themselves would be better protected by some kind of regulation. But you raise the issue that we are now confronting, which is that we are in a period of deep political division. We are unfortunately in a period when there are many people who want to exploit um, the, the, you know, the, the clicks of Facebook that um, encourage people to feel hate towards other people. There are people who actually use this as a model for political advancement. And so that will make this difficult to come up with a means of uh, of, of regulating uh, online platforms. That makes it not like the seatbelt. There used to be a time when protecting the American public and protecting our political system and protecting the integrity of our system and standing up against uh, hate speech and violence was a bipartisan uh, issue. Uh, and I and I often worked, you know, across the aisle on those kinds of issues. That is not what we are faced with, unfortunately, today. Uh, it is really, um, and that is not the fault necessarily of, of, of Mark Zuckerberg. That is the fault of our political leaders, those who have staked out positions that are antithetical to the core values of our democracy. But that makes it even more urgent for this to happen uh, because there are people who will deliberately exploit the use of these platforms, the way in which the, the human mind works. We understand the psychology of why people are attracted to this incendiary material um, and who like the fact that there is the opportunity for disinformation, for discord, and to arouse the passions of members of the electorate. And that's all the more reason for us to lean in and take very, very seriously our obligation as American citizens and for American business to take very seriously the obligation of protecting American democracy. They too have uh, responsibilities as citizens. It's not just about casting a ballot or helping political candidates, but ensuring that the framework of our democracy is strong. The point's been made that, that people aren't canceling their Facebook accounts and that as a result, advertisers aren't stopping spending money there. As long as that's the case, it's hard to imagine that things change organically. Yeah, well, that's why I call it laissez-faire. You know, to the extent we're, we're deciding that advertisers should drive whether or not, um, you know, content on platforms that reach uh, millions of Americans encourage uh, violence or encourage uh, hate crimes, uh, you know, to me is an abdication of, of responsibility and political leadership. Uh, we have all kinds of rules in our society that no, might not be the, the result in the most profitable outcome, but we, we impose those rules for the safety and protection of our society. And I return again to seatbelts. Um, we have a consumer product safety commission, you know, where uh, toys for children have to be approved so that they don't harm children. And yet Facebook itself gets to decide whether it's going to launch Instagram kids targeted at children with no regulation around it. We have the obligation to protect our children and we can protect our children, regardless of what advertisers want and regardless of what Facebook wants. The question is, is Facebook in the best position to determine uh, whether or how something like that should be targeted at children? Probably not, because they are a business and their profit margin is what comes first. And um, But it is the responsibility of uh, uh, citizens and political leadership to make sure that we protect American children. And therefore, there ought to be regulations 
that protect children from being lured into a lifetime of this uh, of engagement with a with a platform that has been demonstrated to actually um, uh, introduce harm to young people who use it. Sherilyn, thank you for your time today. Thank you so much. Next on Squawk Pod, we're filling you in on all the D.C. drama, the debt ceiling, infrastructure, and finding common ground on Biden's Build Back Better plan. Here is Senator Chris Coons. We already went through the painful, awful process of reconciliation back in August. It takes weeks. And so to start from scratch and do the whole reconciliation process again would slow us down and prevent us from making progress. We'll be right back. What's on the horizon for financial markets? At PGIM, it's a question that over 1,400 investment professionals relentlessly research in pursuit of your long-term goals. Specialized across asset classes, but united in collaboration, our teams provide global and local expertise. Our investments shape tomorrow, today. Pursue your tomorrow with PGIM, a leading global asset manager. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. This is Squawk Pod. The fight in Congress over the debt ceiling continues. Yesterday, we heard from Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen warning that if the country defaulted on its debt, we could fall into a deep recession. Here's Joe Kernan and Becky Quick. Washington News Senate Democrats will once again attempt to suspend the debt ceiling today. Speaking with reporters last night, President Biden said it's a real possibility his party may change Senate rules to get the job done. It's a topic we talked about with Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen yesterday on Squawk Box. It's really up to... Uh, Speaker Pelosi and Leader Schumer to figure out how to get this done um, in Congress. Um, What I can tell you is that it's utterly essential that this be done. Uh, I've said that by the 18th of October, we will uh, be out of extraordinary measures, have limited cash, and likely to exhaust it very quickly. Um, And so I do regard October 18th as a deadline. Uh, It would be catastrophic to not pay the government's bills. Two pieces in the journal today. Bill Galston is not a a Republican or a right winger. And he he just makes point. Democrats, McConnell's not going to move. So just get it through your head that you're going to need to do this uh, yourself. And he points out Bernie Sanders, chairman of the budget committee, told The Washington Post Uh, or at least a senior aide to Bernie Sanders, we're not doing the debt ceiling through reconciliation, period, end of discussion. So if that is going to be the the That's not the way they're going to do it now. You heard the latest. Well, they have to do it that way. No, they are going to suspend the ability for you to be able to stop it on the Republican side. The filibuster. I don't know if that. If they suspend uh, the filibuster. I don't think they'll do that. Well, if they get Manchin, all they need is 50. If they can get Manchin and Sinema to agree to it, that might be the last minute thing. Why don't they just just pass it through reconciliation? Uh, Because they know that there is a lot that could go wrong with that. Look, first, you got to. What could go wrong? You could. You're going to have to say how much you're going to be raising the debt limit, which is going to be more than two point three trillion dollars. That's political. 
coming so out in December. That, that, allow, that gives Republicans talking points, but it's it not, doesn't mean they can no, do it. it. The it, Senate, they can't get the their, Senate my parliamentarian guess they can't get already said you can do it through reconciliation. Look, they can't get their, their, their party in line for that. They would also, I thought you could only use... Um, no, you can, reconciliation once in a session. Which you can would use it more than once. They can do both of those bills, and they they have uh, they they own they the house, and That's, they got fifty. The reason they, they can't can do get it. mansion, and they could get those guys to do reconciliation. There's no reason why they don't raise. They fully are able to do it, and the Senate parliamentarian already said you can do it. Well, they're at loggerheads, and I think they probably think it's easier to go ahead. They're going to end up doing it that way. Well, if they end the filibuster, then they'll see how they like it. I know. It's, look, this is, we get closer and closer to the nuclear option because both sides have taken it to extremes and the things that they say every time around. I, I looked at this and I'm like, yeah, this is just the next level. Everybody's trying to figure out how they can use a technicality to get around the rules and stick it to the other side. That's, that's all we've seen in this as every side kind of says, OK, it's to our advantage to do this. It's to our advantage to do this. There's nothing they can agree on. Even the bipartisan infrastructure bill is not going to happen at this point because you know, now you have Biden saying, yes, it's all entirely dependent on the other, which means the Republicans have signed, who have signed on have said, forget it. They're not going to go ahead with this. There's not going to be a what, single what, bipartisan what all, thing that What do all these things have in common? The, the, the progressive heft in, in the Democratic Party at this point, Bernie Sanders and the squad. That's what all these things have in common. And, and Biden, it, you know, it seems to be being led around by his nose. By here's the journal goes my, as far to say that. My guess is that Biden realized they didn't have the votes otherwise, that they couldn't do it because I couldn't they believe the debt ceiling, said, this, the debt ceiling deception. Democrats keep telling Americans that uh, they have the votes to pass this massive tax and spend bill, but they don't. They're unable to raise the federal debt ceiling. And it's patently false. And then the journal really have, the journal they, they don't patently, have the votes it totally raise, uh, lowers the boom and says they also tell us that the, the number of illegal border crossings in Texas is merely seasonal. The Afghanistan withdrawal was a success and the cost of the reconciliation bill is zero. So, I mean, they and, totally they, lower they the boom the on the, the, the duplicitous, uh, you know, demagoguing that, that you're seeing from this. Duplicity it's easy politics, to do. You could do it today. You could do it today. I, I don't think they, they don't have the want votes to vote for it. on They amendments. don't have the they, votes for it because they don't have mansion and cinema. They don't have the votes for it. That's the problem that they run they into the every vote, way they come. You don't think Manchin and Sinema would raise the debt would raise the debt ceiling? I don't know. We'll see. Why wouldn't they raise the debt ceiling? They're holding out on the three and a half. They haven't said that. They're raising. They're holding out on the reconciliation bill. Well, it has to go back through. It's going to be a long, complicated process, and they probably should start on it if we're going to run out of money on October 18th. It's the amendments that will f- cause certain uh, people to to take off the. Uh, the, the mask and see where they stand on those things. They don't want to be put in that position. Joining us right now to talk more about the ongoing debt ceiling fight is Delaware Senator Chris Coons. Uh, Senator, these talks are kind of reaching a crescendo pace because, uh, like I said, the clock's ticking. What, what happens next? Well, Becky, later today, we'll all go to the floor and vote on whether or not we can proceed to have all 50 Democrats vote to suspend the debt ceiling pay the debts that we accumulated under President Trump to deal with the COVID pandemic and move forward. And we'll see whether or not Republicans will once again block us from proceeding to that vote. Dozens and dozens of times over recent decades, Republicans and Democrats have worked out an arrangement, an understanding, where the majority provides the votes to either lift or suspend the debt ceiling. In this instance, Minority Leader McConnell is playing a dangerous and reckless game in filibustering our proceeding to the debt ceiling. Weeks ago, he was insisting that all 50 Democrats vote to raise or suspend the debt ceiling. We're willing to do that. He's blocking us from doing that. 
we run out of time in two weeks or less, the markets are already getting anxious and jittery. And if we were to default, Becky, that would have an immediate impact on every American who pays interest. Treasury Secretary Janet Yellen just testified to Congress it would throw us into a recession, stop our recovery from the pandemic, and cause unnecessary harm all across the United States and to our global reputation. Mitch McConnell wrote a letter directly to President Biden pointing out that this is his party's opportunity to do something. You all have the votes, he says, to just use reconciliation. And he, he threw back some words at the president that the president used himself when he was a senator, saying that, uh, you know, you opposed this when you were in the minority, that we are only taking your position that you have used in the past right now. How, how do you reconcile that? Becky, here's what's not true about that statement. Yes, in 2006, then-Senator Biden voted against raising the debt ceiling. But it is not true that the majority prevented um, that from going forward. In other words, excuse me, the minority. In other words, Democrats didn't filibuster moving ahead with the debt ceiling. They allowed a majority to come together on a bipartisan basis and raise the debt ceiling. In this instance, what is blocking us from moving forward is Mitch McConnell's needless use of the filibuster, that 60-vote limit. He and his caucus could come together today and say, Democrats, you go ahead, pay the bills that were accumulated under President Trump, which is what this exercise would do, and move forward. We could resolve this this afternoon. Yeah, maybe what you're saying about the past is, isn't true, but is not true. But what is true, Senator, is that the Democrats can do this themselves. And in the Wall Street Journal today, uh, Bill Galston says Democrats just got to just, just accept it. McConnell's not going to do it. You're not going to get you know, you're not going to get those Republicans. So we're going to go through the charade again of not getting 60. Then you're going to blame the Republicans. You can do it today. You can do it through reconciliation now. You've got the House. You pass it in the House. you got 50 senators. It's done. If you don't do it, it's on Democrats. Joe, here's the challenge with that scenario. Um, adding it to reconciliation isn't simple, and it isn't quick. It's not like just adding one amendment to a You're complex bill. you saying it couldn't bill. be done, Senator? It could take uh, uh, weeks to do. Could, we would should, have to woulda, go coulda. through a but very painful process, Joe, called Votorama that would keep us here all night, and cause us to vote dozens and dozens of times on amendments. We have run out of time for that maneuver, and that's not how this is going to get resolved, Joe. I don't, don't you think that's going to be in the end what happens? Or, so you think it's preferable no. to get rid of the filibuster? You think it's preferable to change, to go to the nuclear option instead of just doing it through reconciliation, Senator? You could get that done. Reconciliation would be long, complex, and uncertain, and frankly, accomplish Senator McConnell's political objective which is to dramatically slow down and weaken our effort to pass President Biden's Build Back Better agenda that's designed to help reduce costs for working people, the cost of health care, the cost of child care and of elder care, to make our country more competitive and to get more folks back to work. Those are positive objectives. And if we take weeks to go through the complex reconciliation process, two all-night votes in the Senate and House, we won't be moving that agenda forward. Frankly, that is Senator McConnell's objective here. We, I have been texting and calling my moderate Republican friends and my moderate Democratic friends to try and find a path forward where we can all come to an agreement, as has happened in the past. Democrats can cast a tough vote, but one tough vote, 
and then we can all move forward. Senator, you're willing to do this horrible, you know, complicated, terrible reconciliation process for a three and a half trillion dollar boondoggle that probably half the country at least is raising an eyebrow for, but you don't, but, but you can't use it to raise the debt ceiling? You, you're able to do it for, you know, with, with a, a few right. extra people Joe. in the House and, and a divided Senate? You think this is the time to pass every Democratic wish list from the past 50 years through reconciliation, but you can't Joe, do two the debt things. ceiling? Um, this isn't every Democratic wish list of the next 50 years. Oh, That's no, there's not more? what is ultimately there's going more. to pass. There's more? President Biden made clear yesterday that the agenda that will ultimately pass will be a narrower range of policy options and the price tag will not be three and a half trillion dollars. We've made progress in that regard and we already went through the painful, awful process of reconciliation back in August. It takes weeks. And so to start from scratch and do the whole reconciliation process again would exactly slow us down and prevent us from making progress on the infrastructure bill which I think is critically important to get out of the House and to the President's desk, and the Build Back Better agenda, which I think is critical to getting Americans back to work and making our country and our economy both more competitive and more fair. There is a simple path here. We simply need Republicans to step aside and let, re let Democrats provide the 50 votes to deal with the debt ceiling and move forward. Senator, you know, you're, you're asking for their cooperation in terms of stepping out of the way, allowing you to do this without getting involved and doing anything that would slow down the rest of what you'd like to pass. But I, I think a lot of people were kind of surprised when President Biden said that the bipartisan infrastructure bill was not going to be voted on until the other part of the agenda gets settled and it moves its way through. And, and I've heard complaints from Republicans, moderate Republicans who signed on to that bipartisan infrastructure bill who, who feel like they're getting played at this point. It's hard to see where you get bipartisan cooperation when neither side seems to really uh, stick with the plans that they have said or doesn't feel like they're pulling some sort of trickery out at the last minute to say, ah, tricked you, got you on this one. Same thing with all of these things. They're all political moves to try and uh, either push an agenda forward or stop that agenda. It, it gets... Well, Becky, um, I, I was here in 2017 when the Tax Cut and Jobs Act got passed. The massive nearly $2 trillion tax cut package uh, passed under the Trump administration. And three times, uh, Democrats worked with Republicans uh, to make sure that we didn't breach the debt ceiling, that the debt ceiling was suspended even though we were upset that none of our provisions were considered or included in that tax provision that was entirely passed with Republican votes, no Democratic votes. We're in a similar setting now. And it is no surprise to anyone who's been serving here in recent months that the bipartisan infrastructure plan was something we could all work to come together to agreement on. And the bolder, broader Build Back Better plan is something that only Democrats support. Um, right, I've but to link known this one to and the share other, this and discuss this with Republicans in the Senate for months. But to, to link one to the other, I think that's where the moderate Republicans who signed on and the moderate Democrats in the House who signed on feel like they got uh, a little bit of a bait and switch situation. Well, Becky, the, the record here is that for months we've been saying what we can agree on in a bipartisan way out of President Biden's agenda is so called hard infrastructure. And two dozen of us labored for months to get that bipartisan bill done. It was always clear that President Biden also had a second agenda, this Build Back Better plan to reduce costs for families, costs of health care, daycare, elder care, to make college more accessible and affordable, to deal with climate change. 
we knew the odds that was going to be passing with Republican votes were zero. Right. So I don't think this is some last minute bait and switch. I do think we need to bear down, get both of these bills moving to the president's desk. Right. To Joe's point, the Build Back Better agenda will be trimmed and narrowed in terms of its cost and scope. And at the end of the day, the bold investments we'll be making in um, making the lives of working families easier, getting people back to work and dealing with climate change will be on the agenda in the midterms. And the American people can judge whether we made a good investment in our economy. Squawk Pod will be right back. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts. That's the show for today. Thanks for listening. Squawk Box is hosted by Joe Kernan, Becky Quick, and Andrew Ross Sorkin. You can tune in weekday mornings on CNBC at 6 Eastern. To get the smartest takes and analysis from our TV show right into your ears, listen and follow Squawk Pod wherever you get your podcasts. And don't forget to tweet about the show using the hashtag Squawk Pod or leave a review on Apple Podcasts. It really helps out the show. We'll meet you back here tomorrow. We are clear. Thanks, guys. CNBC has quick and easy to understand business news updates at the open midday and close every weekday. Markets, money, and more from Wall Street to Main Street. I'm CNBC's Jessica Ettinger. Follow and listen to CNBC Business News Updates wherever you get your podcasts.